Good morning, am I on? All right, I'm assuming I'm on. Welcome to Northgate Baptist Church. Uh, we're glad that you're able to join us uh, live stream from the comfort of your own living room. Just a few quick announcements. Um, check your bulletin. We are supporting the Pregnancy Care Center, and if you check out your bulletin, you can find out how we can do that. Uh, Father's Day is um, coming up at the end of June, but we want to do something special for the dads. If you could please just send us a video with one life lesson that your dad has taught you, uh, that'd be great. Uh, send the video to the church so we can put that together for a Father's Day. Um, VBS is coming up uh, really uh, faster than I think it will, but July 19th to the 23rd. Uh, Sarah Wolgamuth came up to me a couple months ago, said she wants to run VBS online. So I thought, yeah, let, let's do it together. It sounds like a great idea. So if you have any questions about that, just reach out to Sarah. But if you want to, your kid to join, there's no cost at all. But we just ask that you register ASAP. You can register um, on our website under the Kids tab. There's a registration form. It's from uh, July 19th to 23rd, starts at 6 o'clock in the evening, and it's done at 7.30 p.m. Um, just want to congratulate Adam Barb, if you're listening. Uh, we are so proud of you that you finished and graduated Vanguard College, graduated with a Bachelor of Theology and Pastoral Ministry. We know that God's going to do some amazing things in your life, so just want to give you a shout-out And with that, so... Let's bow our heads and pray and just give the Lord our service. God, we thank you so much for um, the way you work in this church, God. We thank you that uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, Lord, that uh, you've given us your Holy Spirit, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, commit this service into your hands, Lord, that you would just speak through Pastor Mark, Father, that... Uh, his words would just take us into a deeper relationship with you, Lord. And we just uh, thank you for everything you're doing in this church. And just pray you just bless us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue on with our service. To walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All of the people saw him walking and praising, and they recognized he had been the one who had sat and asked for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all of the people ran together to them in the portico of Solomon's, called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished at what they saw. But Peter saw it and addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have him, to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, 
His name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. We look forward to hearing Pastor Mark's sermon on this. But before Pastor Mark... All right. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, And it's actually kind of a special day this morning, not just because it's the May long weekend, not just because we had a new candidate uh, that we introduced to you. And that video that you just saw will be, we're going to put that on the website uh, so you can view that during the week or you can tell people who missed it how they might view it as well. And we're very excited about Pastor Mark B. I guess I'm Mark A. Is that, I'm not sure how that works. Uh, But anyways, today is also a very special day, as you heard, uh, because this is the day the church traditionally celebrates Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday, and I know our church doesn't really sort of tend to be the liturgical church calendar type folks, but it's, I think, especially significant for us, because these last few weeks, we've seen just how important Pentecost has been for the church. It is the coming of the promised Holy Spirit empowering the church. And since that day, uh, the church and the world have not been the same since. Because the work that was begun on that very first Pentecost Sunday, uh, so long ago, it continues to this day uh, through the sharing of of the gospel and through the transformation of lives. And that's really what Pentecost is all about. Uh, I actually agree with John Piper uh, when he says, it's a shame the term Pentecostal power has for so many people become more associated with the speaking in tongues than the harvest of world evangelism. Because the speaking of tongues may have been spectacular, you know, something really amazing to see, but it served a greater purpose because it allowed people from all over the world to hear the gospel in their own language. And really that is the reason that Jesus came, to offer us salvation. That's the reason the Holy Spirit came to empower the church to continue that work. That's the reason the people of Pentecost responded. Uh, That's the reason the church sort of exploded. And in our passage this morning, if you want to turn there with me, Acts chapter 3, we see the power of God at work once again. But I think what makes sort of Acts chapter 3 special for me at least is that this is really the first time that we see the effect of the gospel on an individual life. Because we know that lives have already been changed by the gospel. I mean, chapter 1 tells us 3,000 people came to faith in one day. But this passage is a passage where we now see how that gospel affects the one. Uh, This is the intimacy that we get to see of God's grace on display in one person. This is the transformation of the gospel happening in just one life, which is multiplied again and again in every life where it goes to work. But we see it as just an intimate place where God's grace touches a life. And yet, the man that we read about here is probably one that most people would say was sort of dealt a bad hand in life. Uh, In fact, I don't think it'd be far-fetched to say that this man probably never thought his life would amount to anything sort of significant. He certainly would not think that we would be here this morning, 2,000 years later, still talking about him. And yet, Luke takes the time in the book of Acts, to tell us about his life and how his life was changed. As we begin reading in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. 
where we read. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now we're told here that this man had been born crippled, uh, crippled from birth. And that wasn't anyone's fault. Uh, He was not the victim of a accident. It was not medical malpractice or a childhood mishap. This is not God punishing his parents for some secret sin. It's simply the way he was, uh, the way he had always been. And it was the way that God had formed him in his mother's womb. But because of that, as a child, he never crawled. As a man, he never ran or played. As a man, he could never travel or work or marry. He would never sort of know the kind of life that most of us would sort of think of as normal. He just spent his days sort of on the outside looking in, begging the people who passed for some spare change, always depending on someone else to help him out. And I'm sure there were days when he felt like, you know, my whole life is just one big burden for someone else. I can't do what I do without inconveniencing people. And I can't help but wonder, was he bitter about that? I mean, over time, did his soul sort of become as as shriveled up and withered as his body? Or was he resentful? Uh, Did he blame God for his condition or or his parents or, or someone else? Or was he angry? I mean, did he secretly sort of resent all those able bodied people, you know, that his livelihood depended on? Or was he just broken? You know, broken inside and out. Was he one of those people who's, who you just see life has dealt them so much pain and so much sorrow and so many trials that they're just a picture of defeat? And did he just sort of accept that being a cripple was the only life that he was ever going to know? And this would be it. The, the temple, you know, that, that little mat that he sent, uh, sat on at the temple gate, that, that would be his whole world for the rest of his life. And the scriptures tell us he sat there every day. You know, and I I found it tragic this week that his whole life up to this point could be summarized in one verse. He went to the temple every day to beg. And that's it. Every day of his life, those few square feet by the gate were his whole world. He didn't get vacations. He didn't get long weekends. He didn't take sick days. He begged. Whether it was raining or shining, whether the sun was baking down unbearable heat or clouds rolled in and it was unbearably unbearably cold, he just, he stayed at that spot by the gate every day until someone came along to carry him home and he just waited to start it all again the next day. And he did it so much that we were sort of told that he practically became a fixture of that place. Uh, the people who visited the temple all knew him. They all, you know, that's the broken guy that lives, uh, that, uh, you know, begs by the gate. I mean, they recognized him. And I think even that, that was true for people in the church. Because remember we're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, day by day, attending temple together and breaking breads in their home. That's what the church did. Every day they went to the temple. The people in the church made it their practice to get together every day in those courts where the guy was begging. 
And that means many of the people in the church had probably walked right past this guy one time or another. But today as Peter and John are walking by him, something changed. It's as if the Holy Spirit maybe stopped them in their tracks and allowed them to just see see something that they had overlooked so many times before. To see this life that needed change. And you know, it's sometimes strange, I find, how God's timing often works in our life. You know, like when you've read a Bible passage a hundred different times, and then on the hundred and first time you read it, you notice something that, that actually makes you it come alive in a new way. And he's like, I never saw that before. Or when you pray for someone for years, asking that God would do a work in their life, and just when you're th- ready to start thinking that's never going to happen, then one day, almost out of the blue, there's this breakthrough. And it's like this new day. Or in a church, struggles year after year, seeming to make little difference in its community, just trying to keep the doors open sometimes. And then one day the Holy Spirit shows up and a revival breaks out, and everything is different. You know, just because something has always been the way it has always been, doesn't mean that God cannot work in new ways. And even when we feel like we are living in a rut so deep that we're never going to break free, God can still show up and bring revival. Even when we're in one of those places where we think nothing could ever change, God can bring transformation. God offers people new possibilities. So when most people looked at this man and they saw a cripple, confined to a life of begging, when Peter and John looked, I mean, they saw someone who mattered to God. They saw a person that Jesus died to save. And they saw a need that could be met by the power of Jesus and a life that could be changed. And as we continue reading in verse 3, we see, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And I just want to stop here quick for a second. Because in reading that, I get the sense that Peter and John's words might have been just a bit of a shock to this guy. Because most people, and you know with beggars, I'm sure most people simply went by sort of as quickly as they could without saying a word. If anything, you know, they they sped up, put their heads down as they passed, trying hard to sort of just pretend that he was never there. And that's what makes this meeting so remarkable. Now, Jim Simbolov, in his book Fresh Power, writes, Peter responded exactly the opposite to how most people respond to beggars. Most of us tried not to make eye contact with them, let alone conversation, but Peter and John did something few others were willing to do. They got the man's attention. And they looked him in the eye and they took him by the hand. And then we read in verse 5, And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And just like that, it was a miracle. Jesus' name is proclaimed. His power is manifested and God gets the glory. And a life is transformed. And it's a miracle. And I want to be honest with you. 
as we see this encounter taking place, I think that this is what the church is still called to do in the lives of people. I actually think Luke puts this story here in the book of Acts. He puts it right at the beginning of the book, not to sort of highlight this exceptional event, but he actually puts it there as a model for us to follow. That as the people of God, we are to be agents of change to people who feel stuck. That as the church, we should offer people healing and care from their brokenness. That as Christians, our job is to offer people the hope and the power of Jesus Christ that can transform their lives. You see, I don't think we should look at this passage and say, well, that's nice, but I don't have the gift of healing. So this passage doesn't really apply to me at all. Because I think what this passage is actually asking of us is that when you see a need, are you willing with Christ's help to meet that need? Because I love what Peter says in verse 6. He says, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. See, the question here is not, should I offer people something that's beyond my ability to give? The question here is, am I willing to offer what I already have? It's just like that little boy with the loaves and the fishes. We just give what we've already been given. And you know, all of us have things that we can offer. We have our time. We have our attention. We can offer care. We can offer our presence. We can offer our prayers. We can offer advice. We can offer financial assistance and so much more. And you know what? In offering those things to people who are hurting, we can make a world of difference in their suffering as they're going through these hard times. And you know, again, above and beyond any of those other things we can offer, each and every one of us can offer people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That alone can mean everything to a person's life. When you sit with a person, a person who's hurting, a person who feels lost, a person who feels stuck, when you sit with a person and you say, let me tell you about Jesus. That can be the moment a life changes forever. I love how one old preacher put it. He said, what we must keep in mind is what people really need from us as churches. Is Jesus. They don't need a club or friends or a place to hang out as much as they need Jesus. They don't need a fancy sermon or a program or the right kind of music or a class for their kids as much as they need Jesus. They don't need to discuss doctrinal issues or debate theological ideas. They need Jesus. And when they come to our churches, they ought to be able to find him. And while I've never seen anyone healed the way that this man was healed that day by Christ, I can tell you that nearly daily, I can see the difference that the gospel makes in people's lives. And it's amazing. And I'm not trying to downplay physical healing as an answer to prayer here. Uh, I believe that nothing is impossible with God. But even more than physical healing, I have seen the power of Jesus change lives in so many ways that are still miraculous. I've seen people who daily live tortured by sin find forgiveness and relief. I've seen people 
in the bondage of addiction set free. I've seen hardened hearts become soft and tender. I've seen people who have been haunted by their past mistakes just find release. I have seen people without hope find a way to dream again. Because Christ still offers restoration and transformation to broken lives. And the church should still be actively offering people the hope and the healing that Jesus alone can bring. And that's all Peter and John can offer. But they offer it freely. And now look at the change that takes place. Verse 7. And he took him by the hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now that's an amazing transformation. And what I want you to notice here is not only was the man physically healed, but joy flooded his soul. This man was changed both inside and out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that is exactly what's on display here. And you know, again, I noticed something in this passage this week that I had never noticed before. Because we're told here, the man entered with them into the temple courts. I'd never seen that before. But the first place that his healthy new legs take him is into the presence of God. Because as a cripple, he he probably would have been actually excluded from entering into the temple. It was sort of a no-no. Not that he was unclean, but he was flawed. And therefore, he was excluded. But now, because of Jesus, for the first time in his life, he discovers he has a place of belonging and acceptance among the people of God. Now, because of Jesus, he can enter in. And you know, I probably, I don't think we could put into words what that must have meant to this man. This man who had spent his entire life outside the gate, just right on the verge of entering in, but never being able to. Watching every other person enter in, but knowing he would always be left behind. But now he enters, and his joy cannot be contained. And you know, people take notice of it. Look at verse 9 and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What a witness this was to the power of Jesus' name. And you know what? When Jesus says to his church, be my witnesses, this is exactly what he means. Jesus tells us Just like this man, let people see the difference that I've made in your life. Show them and tell them what I have done. I was lame, but now I walk. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was once on the outside, but now I have entered in. So let me ask you just quickly, what's your story? What's your witness about the change that Jesus has brought into your life? Because you know what? At its most basic level, witnessing follows this very simple pattern. First, God works. God changes your life through Jesus Christ. And then second, 
We tell people about what God just did. And it, it can really be that simple to give a witness. So do this with me. It's just a little exercise. I want you to think about your life before you knew Jesus, before you knew salvation. And think about what is one word, just one word, that describes how you used to live or how you used to felt before you knew the grace of Jesus. What was your life like? One word. And now think about your life since you have experienced salvation. Now what's one word now that defines your new life in Christ? And now just put those two words together. And tell people. Before Jesus Christ, my life was full of anger. Maybe that's your word. But now, because of Christ, I know peace. That's a testimony. Before I met Jesus, I felt so alone. But now I have a faithful friend. Before I met Jesus, I had so many regrets about my past. But now, I actually have hope for my future. Before I met Jesus, I was bitter. But now I know real joy. Before I met Jesus, I knew I was a sinner. But now I know that I'm forgiven. That's your witness. So what is your story? What difference has Jesus made in your life? And let me encourage you to let people just be amazed by what Jesus has done in your own life. Because that's also a miracle. You know, even today, the greatest work that Jesus does is to offer sinners salvation and eternal life. In fact, I think Peter even makes a similar point as we continue in verse 11. Going on, he says, While he clung, that's the man, while the man clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as if though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter sees this crowd gathering. And as Peter has, you know, sort of his habit of doing, when he sees a crowd, he says, this is an opportunity to proclaim Jesus' name. But you know, in doing so, I think, I think he says something really strange in verse 12. He says, why do you wonder at this? And to me, that's a crazy question. Because they had just seen a man healed. This guy who was crippled from birth was healed completely. It was every part of it a miracle beyond imagining. I mean, I ask, how can someone not be be amazed by that? How can you not be in wonder? 
But you know what? I think Peter's point isn't that they shouldn't be amazed at what the healing that just happened. His point was, you know what? If you think that was awesome, I'm about to tell you something truly amazing to marvel about. Because I'm about to tell you about Jesus. And what you just saw compared to Jesus is, is nothing. And then he preaches to them about Christ. And the rest of the chapter is really Peter's mini-sermon to these people. And I'm not going to go into a detail or break it down verse by verse, but there are sort of three things that Peter says here that I think we all need to hear. Because first he talks about their need. Because you know what? It's not just the people who are born crippled that need Jesus. It's everyone who hurts. It's all those who suffer, all those who grieve, all those who know no sorrow that need his healing and need his grace in their life. And because we're all sinners and we have all sinned, we all need that forgiveness that Jesus offers us. And that's important to hear because I think one of the reasons that many people sort of refuse salvation is because they don't see the need. They, they can't even admit that they're sick. And these people visiting the temple might have been like that. They're probably showing up, you know what? We're pretty good when it comes to God. We're going to the temple. We're doing the right things. We're offering the sacrifices. We're doing our religious duty. We're trying to live a good life. I mean, that's, that's really all there is, isn't it? And yet Peter reminds them that they were the very ones who delivered up Jesus to be crucified. And that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus, the same Jesus who just healed this man that they're looking at. Jesus, the Messiah. You're the ones who called for his death. And Peter's not really delicate about saying that either. Uh, Verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. Peter's letting them know there is guilt on their hands. Before God. And yet, in effect, if we're being honest, Peter could have said the exact same thing about any of us as well. Because we are all, each and every one of us, the reason that Jesus went to the cross. Because we are all sinners and we all need the forgiveness and grace that only Jesus can bring. So there's a need for salvation that people need to see. And then next... Peter lets them know there's also a plan. A plan that God has been revealing all along. Uh, Just a couple of verses. Verse 18, he says, But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that Christ would suffer, and thus he fulfilled. Uh, Skip down to verse 22. He says, Moses now. Moses said that God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Skip down to verse 24. He says, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. Peter's telling them God's been at work. He's been at work on salvation for as long as there's been sin. And he has a plan in the person of Jesus to deal with that sin. And he's been telling you about this over and over again through the prophets, through Moses, through the scriptures. You've been told about him, that Jesus would come and suffer and die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. You see, God has a plan to fix this problem that we find ourselves in. But then Peter tells them the best part. Because he tells them that, you know what, God has a desire for each one of you to know this salvation personally. 
And I think that's important because you can imagine if someone actually just accused you of being the person who killed the Son of God, that maybe God wouldn't be all that interested in forgiving you. Maybe God would hold a grudge. Maybe God didn't really want someone like you. I know a lot of people who struggle with this whole idea that God wouldn't want to forgive me because of the life I've lived. And yet Peter tells him in verse 19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you for you, Jesus. That's Peter's way of saying, you know what guys, this salvation this grace, this hope, this forgiveness that God has brought about in Jesus, it's for you. And it doesn't matter what you did because it's still available for you. It's for each and every one of you to know personally. No matter what you did in the past, your sins can be blotted out. And your life may know the refreshing from the presence of God. And as a church, we are still called to do that. We still have a message that we need to take to the lost world. We still have a gospel to offer people that can transform lives. And we can still be a place that offers hope and healing to hurting people. And so in our sort of remaining moments this morning, let me try and just summarize and capture a few lessons that I think we can learn from this passage about how our church can better be a church that transforms lives. And there's five lessons I want us to learn. And the first lesson is to just live expecting God to do great things. Just live with the expectation that God is alive and that he is active and that he is moving in our lives and in our churches. I actually heard that Hudson Hudson Taylor's life motto was attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. That is how we should be living. I mean, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. When it comes to church, we should expect God to show up and meet us. When we pray, even when we pray for healing, we should expect God's answers to our prayers in ways that will astound us. When we preach, we should expect the word of God to come alive. When we witness, we should expect lives to be changed. When we as a church accept the mission that God has given us, we should expect that we will see his power at work in those lives. We shouldn't be looking at the obstacles before us and measure them by what we're able to do, but we should be looking at the opportunities before us and think about what the power of God can do. And you know, it doesn't matter how stuck a person feels. It doesn't matter if you're talking to a person who thinks nothing could ever be different. I think the point of our passage is really you cannot put into words the difference that Jesus Christ can make in a person's life when, we take, when he takes hold of that life. Expect God to do great things in people's lives. Which leads us to the next application because we may wonder, how do we do great things for God? And the answer is, mostly we remain faithful in doing the little things for God. Um, because I think a lot of people sort of, they want to live their life in a big, spectacular way, you know. But they, the way they, they live each day, sort of, they neglect the little things. Uh, I mean, you look at the disciples in Acts 2. They were doing 
They were devoting themselves to prayer, to scripture, to worship, to fellowship. And even on this day, Peter and John were simply on their way to the temple to pray, just like they did every single day. I think that's a lesson. I think if we want to be used by God, we need to be faithful in the little things. We need to be dedicated to daily prayer, dedicated to reading our Bible, dedicated to fellowship, you know, dedicated to a life of, of worship and glorifying God, Gener- dedicated to generosity and tithing and hospitality and just a life of simple obedience. Serving God is not seeking about doing the spectacular things, the exciting things or the sensational things. It's really about doing the right things. It's about daily obedience. And it's out of that daily obedience and doing those little things, that's when these opportunities will come to change lives. That's when God can really use a person. When they're faithful in the small things, he will give us more. Which actually leads us to our third lesson, and that's simply to be looking for opportunities to let God interrupt your routine. Um, You know, thousands of people walk by this crippled man every day And I would think most of them were too busy to ever stop. And we can be the same way. We can be too distracted just by the busyness of life to notice a need that's actually staring us right in the face. There are people that we come into contact with on a daily basis who are hurting. But we never really see them because we are often in too much of a hurry to do something else. But you know, life rarely comes to us on a schedule and problems aren't something you can plan on your day timer. And dealing with another person's troubles and pains is often inconvenient and it's time consuming. And Peter and John, though, they weren't in too much of a hurry to not notice this guy. And they made time for him. They made time for people. And that's why God wants people who are willing to be interrupted. God wants us to make people a priority. He wants us to be looking, actively looking for opportunities and looking for the needs that are all around us. And then fourthly, to be a transformational church, I think we simply need to be willing to offer what we already have. And again, we've already sort of talked about this, but again, when you see a need, just be willing to ask yourself, how can I help? Don't assume that someone else is going to take care of that problem. Don't look the other way. When there is a need before you, your answer should be the same answer as the saints before time who have said, here I am, Lord, send me. And let God work through what you have to offer. And even if you don't have much to offer, you'll be amazed by what God can do with what you, what you simply, the simple things you can offer to other people's lives. And then finally this morning, in being a transformational church, let me just stress again how important it is to be witnesses. Uh, And there's that word again, witnesses. And it won't be the last time you hear this word either because it's really our mission as a church. Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Be witnesses. And there's really two parts to this lesson. Uh, First part of being a witness is, again, just letting people see the change that Jesus has brought about in your own life. Celebrate your own transformation, your own salvation, and live it out. 
Be the new creation in Christ that leaves people amazed at the changes that they see in your life as they see the joy that you have. Now let me just add here, even in the hard times, our lives can be witnesses. Because we can hold on to our hope. You know, this man was born crippled. And there were many years of hardship that he had to endure. But God had a plan for his life. And in the end, God used his life and even his pain that he had to go through in such a powerful way to testify to the goodness of God and bring others to faith in Christ. In Christ, our pain is never wasted. And even in the hardest times, we can live in hope. And that's a powerful witness. But then the second part of this lesson about being a witness is is then also being willing to tell people about Jesus. Tell them about their need for a Savior. Tell them about God's plan to send a Savior. And tell them about God's desire for them to experience that salvation themselves. You know, Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that's what we have to offer people. We have a gospel that transforms lives. We have a Savior who specializes in mending broken hearts. And this morning, silver and gold I don't have a lot of, but I have what I have I offer to you. I offer you a Savior. I can offer you a relationship with Jesus Christ. I offer you the healing that comes with the hope of the gospel. I offer you the power to change. And I offer you the name of Jesus with the knowledge that Acts 2.22 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as a church, we can be a community where lives are changed and people are transformed as we offer them the name and the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we, this passage we read this morning is is amazing. I mean, we see a miracle taking place and we wonder at your power. But Lord, don't let us miss the point here. Because it's not just about changing one life. It's about changing all of our lives. And Lord, for those who are hurting this morning, those in need, Lord, we pray for healing. We pray that you would touch them with hope that you would offer them comfort, that you would offer them grace, that that you would offer them the power to change, especially when they feel like they're in a place where they're just stuck. And Lord, those things can be found in you. But Lord, I also pray for us as a church because we want to be that church that, that helps people find that change. And we want to offer them, people around us, the good news of Jesus Christ so that they can discover the power to change in their own lives, so that we can see lives transformed all around us. I pray, Lord, we would just live trusting in the power that you offer to save lives and redeem lives and renew lives. And that, Lord, we as a church would be able to see the needs around us, that we wouldn't be too busy with other things and other agendas, that we are blind to them or we walk past them. But, Lord, open our eyes so that we can see Interrupt our schedules so that we have the space for people. And I pray, Lord, that when we see those needs, we would simply offer what we have in the name of Jesus Christ and offer them the hope that can be found in you. And that, Lord, in doing so, 
in following this example, we would see lives transformed by Jesus Christ and the gospel in which he offers. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.